0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer Distributors. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network.
3: Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's number 43. We're recording a special cider show with Diane Flint from Foggy Ridge in Virginia. And she's in town for a special Cider Week press tasting at Astra Center that happened yesterday. And we're going to be talking about Foggy Ridge, Virginia, and Cider Week New York that's coming up in November 2015. So uh, Beer Sessions Radio is brought to you by Union Beer Distributors, supplier of world-class ales and cider. So, Diane, how are you? Welcome to the show.
4: I'm so glad to be here, Jimmy. And we have to start by opening some cider.
3: Love that sound.
4: I know. I know.
3: So Dan, you know, we've met you a few times, and uh, you know, for a while, I always carried your, your cider, Foggy Ridge, by the glass. Um, How would you get started? Because you're you're pretty special. You're you're an orchardist as well.
4: Yes. And well, cheers to you. Well, cheers to you, and thank you for having me. It's great to be up here. It's a, it's a treat to be off the farm and be in a real city. Our orchard is in south the southwestern corner of Virginia, down near North Carolina and Tennessee. And we're in the Blue Ridge Mountains, which is a beautiful, interesting formation there in the southern Appalachians. Our orchard's at 3,000 feet elevation. So our climate is really a lot like the upper Hudson River Valley. You know, we have snow and ice in the winter, have hard freezes. We have a late spring. Our bloom is not until early May. And uh, we're already into fall. We have um, much more leaf color than you see in the city. So when you talk to me, although you're talking to someone with a southern accent, I live very much in apple territory. You know, our part of Virginia is a traditional apple-growing territory. And Virginia is, I think, the sixth or seventh largest apple-producing state behind New York Um, and our apple belt, um, my buddy Gary Nabhan is the ethnobotanist who's written quite a bit about apple diversity. He's a MacArthur grant winner. He says that the Southern Appalachians have the greatest remaining apple diversity of any place in the United States. And there's certainly lots of old farms with broken down trees and then lots of wild apples on just about every every corner, every hill and holler. Um, but at Foggy Ridge, we planted apples, and planted in 1997, planted a cider apple orchard. And of course, as you know, like these apples we have in front of us, they are kind of ugly and hard to grow. But they're full of tannin and acidity, and they're full of no, complex They're, they're beautiful,
3: flavors. and they're, they're really hard. I'm noticing a lot more cider makers are getting out and showcasing their apples, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. I think that people still don't really understand what it takes to make good cider.
4: Yeah, a lot of people, uh, a lot of the cider out there is not made with apples, it's made with apple juice concentrate. Um, So those of us who grow cider apples, particularly want to showcase them because we feel that cider apples um, have a complexity and a depth of flavor that you don't get in a dessert apple. And generally, you have to grow cider apples or find a grower who's committed to growing them in order to make cider with them. This little one, and we you know we ought to get a knife and, and cut these open and, and taste these or just take a bite, Jimmy. This is the famous Hughes Crab Apple, which, um, I taste it. yes, it's going to be tart. but <laughs> It has a lot of sugar in it. And this, this apple is, you know, the size of a ping pong ball, would you say, or so? A little red, kind of a pinky red apple that was grown, widely grown in Virginia, as a cider apple um, during Thomas Jefferson's time. And is now grown throughout the United States because it's just a highly desirable um, cider apple. And one of my favorites, we have a very big planting of the Hughes Crab Apple. And when you press this apple, which we've already pressed it, um, I it mean, har- it, we harvested it in late August, the juice is just thick and viscous, it's syrupy. Um, For us, it comes in at about 19 bricks, which is a high sugar level for us. Most of our our apples are more 13, 14, 15 bricks. Um, But it's just a very valuable cider apple and I think speaks to the complexity that we um, try to put in the bottle. Let's talk about that.
3: So we're tasting one of your ciders, and uh, this is the serious cider from Boggy Ridge.
4: So when we started making cider, so planted our orchard in 1997 and started making cider in 2004, sold our first cider in 2005. And, um, you know, there was nobody making cider in the South and certainly no one growing cider apples and with a cider apple orchard. And we, we wanted to make, uh, we, we like and wanted to make drier-style ciders, not the kind of sugary, sugar-pop ciders that were so common back then. Fortunately, less common now. So we named this cider, which is um, bone dry, we named it Serious Cider because our, our thought was that serious cider drinkers want dry cider.
2: And,
4: and this one um, is my favorite. This We're trying the 2013 vintage, and that's a theme I wanted to touch on that I think your listeners will be interested in. And I think there are several... Um, camps or several styles of cider making and lots of cider that's being made today is more of a beer style cider um, that's flavored that um, is produced uh, fermented like wine but produced and made and packaged a lot like beer and some of the um, mentality there is in the beer world is having seasonal products or different flavored things and we um, grow fruit and we make a beverage from that fruit. So I don't want to modify my fruit by adding anything. So when uh, retailers ask me, you know, what's new? You know, what are, what are you doing these days? I say, well, you know, the 2014 vintage is brand new. <laughs> it's all different <laughs> because every year it's different. And this list of cider apple varieties I've got in front of you from Foggy Ridge... You know, that's our art. That's if, if there's any art in it, and and I don't think there is. Um, that's that's what we're trying to express. So your,
3: your seasonal product is your the season's fruit.
4: Is know? the season's yeah. fruit is the vintage. And you know, we one of the things that might be fun to do um, at one of your events, and you're so great about putting on events that showcase small producers, regardless of the style they make. It, one of the things that might be interesting is to do um, a vertical tasting, and to get. Some Farnham Hill and taste and, and some of Autumn's um, cider from from Eve Cidery. And I, I so admire those two producers um, here in the Northeast. And to do a vertical tasting, go back and taste 2011, 12, 13, 14, and have people understand that when you use real cider apples, you're going to get a different cider each year because you're going to have some vintage. Are you able
3: to put vintage dates on your cider bottles?
4: Um, No, the TTP does not allow that. There's some states, I think, that allow vintage dating, but on the back of our bottles, there's a lot number, and so you'll see that this is lot number 2013. It, we cleverly <laughs> <laughs> slip that on the back label and that lets you know that that's, that's the vintage date. That's a good drinking, idea it, to, to,
3: okay. to you know, up here this you know, Eve Cider mm-hmm. in, in West County too in Massachusetts yep. Love them. Last year uh, Gay Howard from the uh, United States of Cider Block mm-hmm. put together a Kingston Black tasting so it wasn't really a vertical but it was and we had something from Eve's and West County had uh, two cases left mm-hmm. of their 2009 Kingston mm-hmm. Black so mm-hmm. you know you're on to something, Diane. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And this list of, of apples you gave me, it's amazing. I mean, you're growing all these apples Ashmead's Kernel, Black Limbert Twig, Burford Red Flush, and it goes on and on down to Smith's Cider, Stoke Red, Tremlett's Bitter, White Winter Pyramane, and Yarlington Mill. Some of them <laughs> are, I've heard of Ashmead's Kernel, Yarlington yeah. Mill, but I couldn't tell you what the flavor from any of these are.
4: And that would be another great thing to do is to ta- have your customers taste some of the apple varieties that go in the cider, you know, alongside the cider, just to begin to to understand the importance of using cider fruit and not just any old dessert apple. So this list, this was our test orchard that we planted in 1997. And I didn't know what cider apples would grow there in the Southern Appalachians. And I didn't know, you know, if they grew and made fruit, I didn't know if they would make great cider, you know, from what was growing in that spot. And I remember talking to Steve Wood, who was so generous to me in my early years in the cider world, um, he was so generous with this knowledge. And I was, remember being frustrated that, that that mean man wouldn't tell me what apples to grow. And, of course, I quickly found out that that was right, you know, what grows for him in New Hampshire and produces great. Cider is not necessarily what's going to work for us in, in the southern Appalachians. So the test orchard was my effort to, to answer that question. Number one, what will grow, two, what will be fruitful, and three, of what will grow and be fruitful, what makes really great cider. So after um, about five years from this list, we planted two additional orchards, which are, are our expansion orchards, where most of our production comes from. Most of our production is in about eight apples, and some of those are right here in front of you the Hughes Crab Apple, Tremlett's Bitter, Davinette, Ashmeat's Kernel. Um, we also have a big planting of Harrison, which is, we've not harvested le- yet, and also um, Albemarle Pippin, which is the Virginia version of the Newtown Pippin Apple. We have a, a big planting of that.
3: There's a, there's a few other uh, cider makers in Virginia that, that you consider noteworthy. Uh, I know you have
4: Virginia Cider Week. Tell us about some of the other producers. Sure, I especially admire Stuart Madney, who's the cider maker at Castle Hill Cider. Um, Stuart is very orchard focused, although they have a, a very small and young orchard there. He's very conscientious about sourcing good fruit. Um, in fact, uses some of um, some fruit from Barnum Hill and some of his cider. He's, um, he's an inventive cider maker. He's he's experimental, but he's always focused on expressing fruit. You know, he's not tricking things out. I particularly admire admire uh, Stewart.
3: And then, is there other any, any others that are participating in the oh, Virginia, Virginia cider? Oh, Virginia
4: cider has grown so much. We were the first producers, in, uh, um, in the early two thousands, and then Albemarle Cider Works was the second producer. They're right outside of Charlottesville. Chuck and um, Charlotte Shelton. Uh, Castle Hill. There's another um, cidery called Old Hill Cider. Um, They began as an apple orchard, so they're using dessert fruit, but fruit they grow at their own orchard, and they're coming along. And then Courtney Maley is the owner of an urban cidery in Richmond called Blue Bee Cider. And I think you're beginning to have some urban cideries here.
3: He liked that. You're smiling. uh,
4: Brooklyn or New York. Well, it's an interesting marketing option. Obviously, you can't have an orchard there at your cidery. um, But um, I think it's a way to get um, cider out in front of people.
3: That's great. Well, cheers to you. This is pretty great. I especially love love seeing these apples. And we're going to taste them and take some photos for everybody. Uh, You'll probably see this show in November so. Hopefully, uh, the photos will be around. But this is so cool. You, you're in town, and it's the reason I, I contacted you is I was sitting with some other friends last week, and they said they met you, and they were talking about they wanted to make cider with hops. And right away, they, they said, what was your answer to that? Uh, and that's why I, I emailed you. It's like, why
4: you. the hell would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I think people who do that um, are working with juice that is not very distinguished because if you have a really fine juice from cider apples that is flavorful and has complex flavor, why would you cover it up? Um, And this is not a matter of good versus evil. I don't think hopped cider is evil and the way we make cider is good. I think we're trying to express fruit characteristics and a hopped cider is making a manipulated beverage. It's, It's a beverage making process and we're farmers first. Insider Maker second. We would not go in that direction. All right,
3: that was. A did, tough that, one.
4: did that answer your question? Well,
3: it's it's it's, it's so many. We've met Reverend Nap from uh, Washington State, and he's the opposite. He says he's working with the commercial, you know, mm-hmm. dessert fruit, and so he's that's what he has on hand, and he's he's doing things to make that taste the way he wants. So th- right. there's different approaches, right. which it's is a, kind of fun.
4: Yeah, it's a manipulate. It's to me, it's like making a mixed drink. It's a mixed drink. You know, it's like a wine cooler.
3: So yesterday you were at the Astra Center, yes. the Cider Week New York City Press Preview. What were some other ciders and cider makers that that you tried for the first time? Because I I saw the list and there there are a lot of new people. You know,
4: I wish I'd had a chance to try ciders for the first time, and I did not try a single cider. I got there and worked my butt off all day, and then went over to Gramercy Tavern and did a staff tasting, and then went to Murray's Cheese and taught a cheese and cider workshop. So I didn't I didn't do a thing, but there were many many new cideries there. Um, I was pouring next to. Um, um, Eleanor Legere from Eden Ice Cider Eden, yeah. and I saw that she had a lot of new products I really admire what she does and she's I got a, a
3: sparkling rosé cider that's on draft Yeah, that is like 13% alcohol uh, that people are going nuts for Yeah, actually I have to get it in yeah. Jimmy's number 43 so yeah
4: that would be good
3: yeah well, let's just take a short break we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio alright
1: In 1996, Sheehan Family Companies, formerly L. Knife Son, acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn. Union Beer has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Brooklyn and parts of Queens through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Staten Island, and Long Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education at all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the seven counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com.
3: Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's a special show with Diane Flint from uh, Foggy Ridge in Virginia, and we're talking about ciders. And Diane's cutting, cutting her apples. Um, I think I really, I'm trying to define you know, what, what good ciders are, and we've had back and forth about what to call them. Is it real cider? Is it fine cider? But definitely the the ciders that I really like, like Farnham Hill and West County, they're, they're all growing fruit, and, and it's true. The best cider does come from fruit. So you just cut these apples in half, and we're going to taste them.
4: Which one's this? Yeah, this is the Hughes Crab Apple that we have such a great planting of. Mm. And this was picked um, about four weeks ago and you can definitely get the astringency. It's that drying sensation across your tongue um, and also getting some acidity there. But what you don't get because those two properties mask it is the, is the sweetness. This has a lot of sugar. This is a great apple. Um, this one
3: is... There's a little misinformation about the cider apples because... Mm. Sometimes people talk about them being so tannic and and Mm -hmm. so bitter. But, you know, I'm used to buying apples at New York. We have this farmer's market Mm -hmm. called Green Markets. Mm -hmm. And and they're all... The best ones are hard and and Mm -hmm. tart.
4: Yeah. So... Yeah, some of it is preference. You know, one of the most um, popular apples in the country is Honeycrisp, which is really just sweet. I mean, it has some tartness, but it's once you... It's juicy. It's It's very juicy. It's like water. And Americans like... Hard. And the two things Americans like are sweet. In terms of eating apples, are sweet and crisp, hard. Um, but you'll see this huge crab is a little soft. It's beginning to go a little soft. It's not a good keeper. Um, it's already we've already pressed it. But but try this next one. Um, this one here. So you're this saying
3: one. the difference is that the the ones that you get in a supermarket they they last a long time on the shelf. They keep their their hardness. Mm. Is that it? Too? Not necessarily.
4: No? The ones you get in the grocery store won't be tannic. Mm. And they might lack some acidity, um, so as you chew on the skin of this one and begin to chew the flesh, you get less sugar, and you get some you get that drying again across yeah. your palate, like a tea bag, like a persimmon, and that's the tannin in, in this particular apple. Um, and which which one's this? This is um, this is the uh, Dabinett. This apple is not quite ripe; we've not picked it yet. Um, We'll um, pick it in the next couple of weeks, but um, you can you can taste a. You can t- certainly taste the tannin in it and the acidity. It's not developed the the really complex flavors, but the aroma on this one is is already really good. Of course, I've been carrying it around in my suitcase for a week or so, <laughs> going to all these Well, events. that's a
3: good keeper, then, if that's been a week. Yeah. And this is the first time ever we're doing on air on the radio. <laughs> we're actually tasting, so you can't see what we're doing, and you can't taste it, but we're tasting
4: apples. Tasting some cider apples. Well, this one's trimmer, It's bitter. I think you can grab a corner of this one right here. Um Mm. this one we have picked and it's um it is um it's real tart it's tart and it has some astringency as well it um we we picked this up we've been picking it over about three weeks and that's that's another thing i'd say about being a grower producer um we do purchase some apples at foggy ridge we purchase Wine sap apples, um, uh, an old Virginia variety of wine sap called Old Virginia Wine sap. And we produce some albumar, we um, purchase some albumar pippins. But when I use my own fruit that I grow at my orchard, I can decide when to pick it. And I'm picking just for flavor. And we, um, we we don't pick apples at Foggy Ridge, we pick them up. So we shake the trees, they fall to the ground. You'll see some bruises on this fruit. And I do that because I want perfectly ripe fruit. And we'll pick a row that Tremlet's bitter for us, uh, ripens over a you know, two or three week period. And we'll pick a row, come back, shake and pick a row, come back, shake and pick a row. And those are that's an expensive way to harvest fruit, but I'm gonna press it right away. And I want it to be have the absolute best flavor. Now, if you're not a fruit grower and you're buying fruit, you're buying from a grower who went out do a block of apples and picked every damn apple in the in the block. And if you're growing the fruit on um, semi dwarf and if what we would the consumer would think of as a full size tree, think about the canopy of the tree. The apples on the outside are going to be riper than the apples on the inside. Your bin of apples is going to have varying degrees of ripeness, and they're not all going to be as flavorful um, as the perfectly ripe apple apples so just like a grape grower is very careful about harvest and wanting to harvest for flavor cider makers who grow fruit um, or work very closely with growers who grow to their specifications are interested in one thing and one thing only and that's flavor if you're buying commodity fruit the person who grew it is interested in production
3: what what goes into the... So the Foggy Ridge is the serious cider blend. Uh,
4: the serious cider, which... It's is one of my favorites. Yeah, it's, it's something
3: you sell in New York we, a lot.
4: We do. We do. I got that great review from Eric Asimov a few years ago. And um, it's very champagne-like. We use Dabinett and Tremlett's bitter in it, which are the apples that I brought with me. Um, we also use some fruity aromatic apples that we grow. We use Grimes Golden. And we use some Gold Rush, um, which is a, a high-acid apple. That we were able to purchase from a, a grower in Virginia near us.
3: That's great. When you got started, I mean, did you? How did you first start making cider? And, and were you traveling to to learn about other
4: cider regions, or you just kind of started from scratch in Virginia? You know, I think I, I started from scratch in Virginia. I planted this orchard, and I changed jobs, um, joined a consulting firm, so I'd have some flexibility to take time off to study enology. Um, and learn um, lab, brush up on my lab skills and learn about the science of fermentation, which is really what you should learn. I think um, a lot of people get tied up in what style cider do I want to make and do I want to emulate Basque cider or French cider or English cider. Forget all that. Go to a, go to a good enology program and take a bunch of winemaking courses and understand fermentation. And that will serve a new cider maker so much better than traveling around and you know drinking in France and Spain. It might not that's be as glamour. much fun. I mean, that's the romance, <laughs> but that's not the science. I, I, I want to go on this cider trip. I <laughs> want to go to
3: England. I want to see Tom Oliver. I, I want to yeah. go to Normandy.
4: You should. And I
3: want to go down to asturias in Spain. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what uh, a lot of guys have been doing.
4: Yeah, you should do that. You should do that that's because the easy you're way. never going to find yourself in a lab, you know, running tests. But a cider maker needs to I'm be I'm never able going to have that. cider
3: trees either. <laughs> Actually, we were talking last night about... We had some hop growers on, and we were talking about if you really wanted to get involved in this, you know, farm-to-glass mm-hmm. lifestyle, would you be better off planting hops or would you be better off planting cider trees?
4: Yeah, yeah it probably depends on the region you're in. Yeah, I think hops are... A growing uh, segment of the Virginia economy, but I don't think it's quite there yet.
3: Well, they, they agreed that, that if, if you're not re- really want to be a farmer and tend your crops, they said cider trees would probably be easier. And I don't know about making the fruit, but cider trees, I'm just wondering if cider trees is, is a good thing for people to go out and plant. You got a few acres, plant some cider trees. Should say, that be a movement?
4: I'd say if you have a few hundred acres, you should plant a few cider trees. A few acres isn't going to help anybody. We need tens of thousands of trees. We need big com- commercial growers to put in you know, thousands of trees. And that's happening. Um, it's happening all over the country. In Virginia, there's a master grafter uh, named Raul Godinez who has moved back to the state or moved to the state and brought his superb grafting skills. And he's taking some of the old orchards that are on um, d- dessert fruit that... Doesn't really contribute much to cider, Red Delicious, um, Rome, York, those kinds of apples that are typically grown in Virginia, and he's doing what's called top working, so he's cutting off the tops of those trees and then grafting on cider varieties. And he had a contract um, this spring to top work um, about um, to top work eight thousand trees near Winchester, Virginia. So that's the kind of cider. Tree planting. We need.
3: How, how much time does that take? If he's going to top plant eight thousand to top work. Top work.
4: He's very fast, so the top working is minimal, and then you should get fruit. He says in three to four years um, after top working the tree. And we've done a little bit of top working in our old orchard. We've pulled out some varieties that we decided were not worthy of growing, mainly not because they didn't give good cider fruit, but they just were not fruitful enough on our site. And we've top worked those over uh, mostly to Dabinet, but I'm also experimenting with Redfield, which is an apple that West County grows. And, the, and Terry Maloney used to make that lovely uh, pink. It's got cider, like a, a pinkish, pinkish red color blush, called Redfield. Yeah. And um, so I'm going to try to channel the ghost of, of that wonderful man, Terry Maloney, in my own orchard by, by planting, um, uh, top-working some of our trees over to Redfield. And his son, Field, actually sent us the grafting wood out of Terry's orchard, um, out of the West County orchard. So I feel like I've got a little bit of West County there in uh, Virginia. I'm going to open our first fruit cider now.
3: Doesn't that sound great? I know,
4: it. it's a great sound.
3: <laughs> you can hear that, too. It's beautiful. It's, it's got a little more uh, bubbles, a little more sparkling than the first one. Yeah. Why is that?
4: I think it was just... They should have the same. We aim for the same. That could have been the temperature of the bottle. This one we call first fruit because we're using a lot of fruit harvested early in the season. This is where our Hughes Crab Apple go that I've been talking about. And also Harrison. We're just beginning to pick the Harrison Apple. That's the Colonial American Cider Apple from Harrison, New Jersey, that was thought to be lost to production but was rediscovered Um, about the time we planted our orchard and we put in a big planting. I really like the apple. As a tree, it's a bit difficult to grow um, uh, on the rootstock that I'm using. And there's some good experiments going, growing this apple on different rootstocks that I think may make a more fruitful tree. It grows well. It makes great fruit. It does. It's not... I would like it to produce more per tree than it does in my own orchard on our rootstock. So
3: for you, it really is about starting in the orchard. That's where your glass of cider comes from.
4: It is. I think that's... You know, you... Um, I, I grew up in Georgia um, and spent have spent most of my adult life in North Carolina and Virginia but I'm the granddaughter of a of a, you know dirt farmers of small farmers in Georgia and my grandmother was a master of what we in the south call make do cooking so she could take you know october beans that that looked really pitiful and she'd put some smoked pork jowl in them and they really were good or <laughs> she'd take that potato salad she made three days before that was getting kind of wan and she'd put pickle juice in it, and she'd dress it up, and she'd call she'd call it livening up. I'm gonna liven up this dish that's that's not, you know, not so good. But whenever she made something that took a lot of labor, and pies are a big thing in the South, not so much cakes, but pies, she would make a pie crust with leaf lard. Really leaf good. lard is the belly lard. Um, and, of course, it came from their own pigs, and they would render the fat. And she would make leaf lard pie crust. And when she made pies, she always used the best ingredients because she knew how much trouble went into making pies. And, and my grandmother, this is so southern, Jimmy, we called her Meemaw. And Meemaw would say, you can put lipstick on a pig but it's still a pig. (laughs) So she would not, she would put lipstick on green beans and potato salad, but she would never go that way with something that took a lot of labor. She believed in the quality, in quality ingredients. And that's, you know, that's in my DNA. When I started Foggy Ridge Cider, it was all about ingredients. And people are kind of coming at me a lot about this hop cider and flavored cider. And I feel like I'm being goaded a bit, but it's not good or evil. It's that I believe in quality ingredients, and that's what I do. That's in my DNA, to grow the very best ingredients, to work with growers, to educate them about how to grow great cider apples, and then to not screw it up, you know, to get it in the bottle, express the fruit, um, without a lot of manipulation. I
3: will tell you, talking about your mom's food, you made me think we should do a, beer, a cider dinner together. I we should. And you just gave me the, the recipe: the <laughs> beans with some pork and some pies with leaf flour crust. And
4: yeah, that would be good. Potato salad. It's very southern. So next we time. We get, get,
3: coming up next time, we'll do a little dinner like that.
4: Oh, we should, and we can get. Um, there are some great. Um, um, chefs here in New York that are that are very southern centric um, Rob Newton out in Brooklyn at Nightingale 9 uh, and um, Wilma Jean's a couple of his restaurants there he's from the south and then um, the owner of Birds and Bubbles, Sarah um, she's a great southern chef and then of course lots of chefs um, who work with our cider in Richmond and Durham and of Charlotte and Atlanta—they would love to come to the city and then do some kind of uh, southern-themed cider event.
2: Well,
3: I'm all for that. That's going to be great. Yeah, yeah one. cheers. And you'll uh, you'll talk them through the menu just like you did. That was pretty awesome. So. Well,
4: I think cider loves pork, and we we kill a pig every year, so we eat a lot of pork. You know, 350-pound pig, and and my husband and me—that's a lot of pork consumption. And uh, of course, that that pig eats a lot of apple pumice. As do our neighbors' cows, which is where our our leftover apple pressings go.
3: That's great. Hey, we're going to talk a little more about feeding apple pumice to pigs. We'll come back on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio. Hey, we got Diane Flint, Foggy Ridge, Cider, Virginia here. And what did you say? You 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 feed some of the apple pomace to your pigs.
4: We do. We uh, raise our pigs with a neighbor, and uh, we this is amazing economic formula. You know, we buy these pig piglets from a local producer. There. Uh, a Berkshire Osage. You can crossing. tell
3: we're in the East Village, New York City. There's police sirens, phones ringing. <laughs> no,
2: we're we talking don't, so.
4: We don't have this in Dugsburg, Virginia. And I don't think I really set the stage for you, Jimmy, about where we are in the Southern Appalachians. I described the terroir and the elevation, and I was thinking in terms of growing apples. But our county has less than ten thousand people in the whole county, and I'm eighteen miles round trip from a gas station. And I'm 50 miles round trip from a bad grocery store. So if you forget the capers or (laughs) the olive oil, you know, you're going to have to get on Amazon. (laughs) And that'll be the fastest way to get it. It's probably easier to have things delivered to you. It is. It is. Um, But we are very much tied to to the land. We, um, of course, have our orchards, and I've been talking about those. We have a huge vegetable garden. We um, have this pig co-op with our neighbors where... Um, we get three pigs on Thanksgiving weekend, um, they weigh about 35 pounds, and then in early March, um, my husband, who was a butcher in high school, which is one of the main reasons I married him, he can <laughs> cut up anything, he, uh, he and whoop who's our neighbor's name, and his son, Philip, the three of them kill these hogs and render the lard, and... Um, I, I bring this up because I think cider goes so well with pork. We we have a lot of pork to eat, but cider is just delicious, especially this um, cider we're drinking right now, the Foggy Ridge First Fruit Cider that we make with this, oh, you make this early cider. season. Oh, I this is yours. This, huh? I, do this, I do make this cider. <laughs> you didn't just come from we the have store early season apples, and yeah. it has a lot of acidity from those crab apples, and it goes so well with fat and with pork fat. So... Um, That leaf lard pie crust we were talking about earlier and, you know, pork belly and shoulders. And I like the neck roast. I'm a big fan of neck roast on venison, lamb, and pork. Lamb, I
3: love the neck.
4: The neck is so, it's got the connective tissue um, that, you know, falls apart in slow cooking. And it just makes a wonderful, wonderful braised dish. Um,
3: You You got a recipe for cooking with cider? Like, let's say we're going to braise some pork, you just splash some cider in.
4: Yeah, you drink drink most of the bottle, and then you put the rest in the braising pot. (laughs) The angel's share. (laughs) The angel's share, for sure. Another thing I like cider with, we are big, um, we grow a lot of uh, vegetables that keep over the winter, because we're in a zone five uh, planting zone, so we really can't grow tender vegetables over the winter. Um, so you have a real winter. We have a real yeah. winter. We have frozen ground in real winter. So we grow a lot of winter squash, and we keep it in a root cellar um, over the winter so we can have that delicious you know, homegrown squash. And this year we grew a variety called Candy Roaster. Um, it's a heirloom um, variety. It's actually on the slow food arc of taste, which is a somewhat pretentious list of vegetables that are you know, in danger of, you know, being lost to production. Candy Roaster um, was grown really right around us in Withville, Virginia. And then there's also a Georgia Candy Roaster. So I grew both kinds this year. And I'll show you a picture on my phone. It's um, It fell out of favor because it's so big. Each squash is um, as big as about three footballs. And it's, ob- it's about the color of a butternut squash, oblong, long, um, and just as sweet as it it can be and one of the dishes I had the reason I started growing this squash is I was working with a chef in Richmond, Virginia named Travis Milton who at the time was cooking a restaurant called Comfort Restaurant and he did a big cider dinner with our cider it was so lovely and for dessert he had um, roasted this candy roaster squash had caramelized it in our cider in a black Cast iron frying pan and it had this, you know, crusty edges. And he had it in a bowl with ice cream. And then he made a, a syrupy kind of sauce with it with our port, our apple port. And it was so good. And it was squash for dessert. I thought, I've got to grow this thing. It's um, so delicious with. um I'll tell you, I, I,
3: love, I love talking about food and, and drink pairings, and we're going to have a lot going on in New York City for, for Cider Week NYC, and you know, by the time you listen to the show, it'll probably be Cider Week NYC, so think about what you want to eat and what you drink. But let's take a step back. So one way I've met you is there's a, there's a group of will call Serious Cider Makers, <laughs> like Steve Wood, Phil Maloney, the people at Eves, and at some point you guys and Dan from Slybro, at some point you, you started calling yourselves either real cider makers or, or American fine cider makers and, and you've kind of described that by talking about mm-hmm. you start in the orchard and, and the care from what goes in from the apple to the glass mm-hmm. but do you want to say anything about this movement or the need for a movement
4: I like it. I'm part of a movement. I like that. <laughs> I've been trying to make it. you guys
3: have a movement. <laughs> you have.
4: I think you've christened it. Will you be our Che Guevara? You kind of have that look. I like that. Just be a bandito. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think of us as, you know, grower makers, you know, grower cider. We think about grower champagne as, opposed, as um, champagne that's made on, uh, you know, small farms for the most part in specific areas of France um, that you know, it's made from the grapes grown by that grower as opposed to négociant champagne where they're sourcing grapes from all over the Champagne district and they're, they're you know, storing them and blending them and it, it comes out with a more homogenized commercial champagne. And the grower champagnes are unique. They're different. It's more of that
3: first fruit cider.
4: <laughs> yeah. They have character. And I think of, of those cider makers you named as making grower cider or orchard cider. Um, either fruit that they've grown are fruit grown by uh, cider apple growers who are concerned about flavor. We're not just out there harvesting because it's Tuesday and they have the Mexican crew there and they're, they need to put them to work and you end up with starchy, unflavorful fruit. But growers who really understand the importance of flavor and growing flavor in the orchard, whether it's in your own orchard or in a, a, a with a grower you collaborate with, so I guess I if I was going to name, name a movement, I don't know. I'm not a joiner, Jimmy. You know, I I'm not. You're a, a founder. I don't You're know. Founder. I don't know about that, but I, I think of us as being very orchard based. All of us as being very orchard based ciderists, and as, as being grower ciders. That's how I talk about myself in the market. That's a
3: good one. you coined it? <laughs> we'll start talking about it. Grower ciders. Yeah. No, that was that was a big deal because it's it, it's there's so many people coming on the market and you hear about people using juice and there's a concern where is the juice from mm-hmm. and I, I don't think anybody wants to put any red flags about cider but if you're getting cider concentrated from China mm-hmm. you know I've heard people doing that for 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 you know soft juice too soft cider I mean mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to say anything about that or you don't want to get into it
4: you know the, the, any agricultural discussion. Becomes a discussion of two things. Of
3: see, we talk about something serious, and the phone starts. Yeah, yeah. It becomes that. That's the, that's
4: (laughs) the USDA calling in. They heard we were meeting here. It becomes a discussion of food ways or drink ways, and that's what we've been talking about: the the culture of growing cider, the history of these apples, the the integration of growing and making whether you're a, a small producer like Foggy Ridge or a you know, larger producer that's sourcing you know, good fruit. Um, so it's a, it's a discussion of food ways, but it's also a discussion of food systems. And all of the issues about um, you know, the quality of, of eggs or milk or meat, all of that extends to fruit as well. So all of the political and economic issues uh, that have to do with food systems apply to fruit. I mean, where, where I live in southwest Virginia, um, the whole immigration issue is, is absolutely essential. I, I can't believe we've worked out um, really tough problems. Um, and we can't tackle this one as a country. You know, the Immigrants pick the fruit in Virginia. Grapes, apples, pears, peaches at lower elevations and you know there there are folks who work for me i think one person in particular who's worked for me for seven or eight years he's been in this country for 17 years and he's not legal and he is he is abused by our system and he's a functioning tax paying individual in our society and yet he doesn't have a legitimate place and and that has to do with you know, food systems and politics and economic issues. And I, I just wish our country, I don't have the answer, but I, I wish our country could figure that out. Well, it's, that, a, it's a whole
3: show, farm labor and, and immigrants. and
4: Absolutely. Well,
3: let's jump back to something else. So let's say you, you want to represent what, what Virginia does, and you know you're growing squash and, and pigs and you're making <laughs> cider. So last year, uh, Carlo Petrini, the founder of Slow Food, mm-hmm. which is a big deal, he, he was here in New York City with Heritage Foods mm-hmm. USA and Heritage Radio Network, and he had a, a, they had an event with Alice Waters, but I was lucky enough to host it here at Jimmy's number 43, mm-hmm. a number of the slow food governors, and Carlo Petrini came here. And I'll tell you what, I served him. I knew he was coming and I wanted to represent what I thought he would think would be truly American. So we served him some, some lardo, which was yes. from a Flying Pigs Farm, but the local East Village market, it's a Europe, you know, mm-hmm. Ukrainian mm-hmm. butcher, they make this traditional lardo, which mm-hmm. is the fat, put that on toast I serve him some really good cheeses from our friend Saxelby, mm-hmm. and I serve him cider oh,
4: wonderful. and
3: he just got it uh-huh. he to him having this it was some West County and some Farm Hill ciders with this traditional lardo and some really good cheese and I was like this represents what we can do in, in New York City it's not fancy food it's not different flavors and he got it so I'm like if Carl Petrini gets it I think that I know you get it yeah it sounds like the kind of meal I would have at at your farm
4: absolutely well and you're invited down to Foggy Ridge always open invitation I, I can tell you how to get there it's a little hard to find but and you'll probably be shocked we have two roads with lines on them but I think you could I think you would fit in well because you clearly appreciate food and drink
3: but it's the fifty miles from the nearest grocery store that gets yeah, in. No, we
4: cook, we oh, okay. cook. Yeah, we grow vegetables. We have meat in the freezer. We we can handle that. So
3: On a farm, you know, you're making cider, but but where do you keep your, your cider bottles? And do you like kind of bottle there and ship out of there? Too? We do.
4: We bottle. Um, we we pick. We we press our juice. We ferment. We bottle. We store uh, a, a big percentage of what we make on our property. We have a temperature control storage shed. Um, Right after bottling, when we're at, we have more cider on site than we do at other times of year. We work with the local uh, vegetable wholesaler who has temperature control storage, and we store over at Woods uh, produce. And they also do some hauling for us. They, they deliver to our distributors in South Carolina and Tennessee and Georgia and um, North Carolina and over in Richmond.
3: And how did you end up selling in New York City? I know you work with T. Edwards, they're a great wine company. How would you meet them, and how would you break into New York City?
4: I met them through my South Carolina distributor. I was um, introduced to the South Carolina market at the same time that my South Carolina distributor, Grassroots uh, Wine, was um, hosting a grower champagne show. And so people came from all over the place to taste these fabulous grower champagnes, and then as they were leaving, their palate cleanser was Foggy Ridge Cider. And folks went crazy over the cider. I think it was a, you know, it definitely was a palate cleanser after those delicious grower champagnes. And I met some representatives from T. Edwards, and they said, we really like your cider. Have you ever thought about being in New York? And this was about the time we had jump production. We um, had purchased some larger tanks and were beginning to make enough cider that we could start selling in other markets. And I said, all right, we'll give it a try.
3: They're great. And they also have Tilted Shed, mm-hmm. whom we've interviewed They're uh, from California, too. Yeah. So, and, what, and when is Cider uh, Week Virginia?
4: Cider Week Virginia is always the full week before Thanksgiving. It, so it starts on the 14th and goes to the 23rd of November. And I will say that you know, S- uh, Virginia likes its um, political system. You know, We have a... a, a a little bit different political system structure in our state than others. And we are a governor-proclaimed Cider Week. So at the beginning of Cider Week, the governor reads the proclamation and puts Cider Week into the books of the, of the Commonwealth of Virginia. And everybody has a big hoopla. But mostly we, we eat and drink and celebrate cider just like you do here in New York.
3: Well, that's pretty great. And it's important to get you know government involved. I mean, in New York, we've had a lot of changes in our liquor licenses yes. and farm brewery, farm you know distillery licenses. Yeah. So yeah, definitely uh, talk to your government. Yeah, people, right?
4: Virginia Virginia's largest um, segment of the Virginia economy is agriculture and forestry, and the second largest segment is tourism. So those two things overlap when it comes to cider making. And um, I'm actually a member of the Governor-appointed Virginia Wine Board in Virginia, which um, also includes cider, because cider, of course, is categorized as wine. And the state um, gives back the excise tax that we pay to the state to promote the wine and cider industry. So we've got a lot of, it's just a very favorable environment for growing fruit, for growing anything, especially for growing fruit and for uh, making alcoholic beverages. It's just a, it's a great state to, to make cider in, I have to say.
3: That's great. It's been a really great show, Diane. Thanks for coming on, Diane Flint, Foggy Ridge. Say say how you officially say it. It's Foggy uh, Ridge. What?
4: Uh, uh, Diane Flint from Foggy Ridge Cider.
3: That's it. In what town in Virginia?
4: Uh, uh, Doug Spur, Virginia.
3: With like five people. Yeah. <laughs> Fifty miles from the nearest groceries. <laughs> grocery store. And that's what we kind of imagine this beautiful bucolic setting. And it's right on your label, too. So check it out, Foggy Ridge Cider. It's one of my favorite ciders, and it's in New York City. So in closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors who've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Diane, thanks for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our engineer, Jack Insley. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.